Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. All right, we are live here for uh, another edition of the Front Office Podcast. I'm flying solo again. We got a... Uh, Solo Sam here, uh, and I am lucky to be joined by a special guest here, someone who I listen to on the regular with Michael Scotto, uh, Yozi Gozlan. Yozi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You nailed my last name, too. I'm, uh, I'm doing well. <laughs> um, all right, so we want to do a pretty heavy um, Nets-centric uh, podcast, given that this podcast tech, uh, is usually focused more on the Nets than anything else, but we'll, we'll definitely definitely want to pick your brain on a couple of other uh, outside of Brooklyn issues. But so the first thing is the Nets, obviously, um, as you mentioned on your on your pod, because you guys have actually gotten to talk about the Nets here and there. I know Scott is very plugged into them. Uh, uh, the Nets are obviously over the cap, and so they're going to have to get pretty creative this summer in. Uh, in order to get better, in order to improve in any way, shape, and form after uh, a very bizarre way of ending the season with all, with all the injuries, the uh, KD game seven against the Bucks. So I guess first first thing for you, first question for you is the the Spencer Dinwiddie dilemma. Is there a way that I guess you can speak in uh, terms that a normal NBA fan can understand? Because as I mentioned to you off the air, very few people I think actually understand the NBA salary cap, except for like a couple experts like you. So could you, I guess, explain the whole Dinwiddie situation, what would happen with a sign and trade and, and kind of what the Nets options are? So if Dinwiddie were to be kind of traded, um, the biggest thing for the Nets perspective is base year compensation. So whenever a player gets signed and traded and his, the salary on the first year is 20% or more than his previous salary, then basic compensation comes into play. So what that means is Dinwiddie, I believe he made 11.5 last year. Uh, let's say he makes $18 million on the first year of his next deal. So what the rule is that on the net side, either 50% of his outgoing salary or... Uh, his previous salary will be the outgoing salary. So in this case, 11.5 is more than 9 mil. So his outgoing salary in this situation in a trade would be 11.5, the same exact salary he made last season. So that's number one. So if they're trading Dinwiddie by himself, they can bring back roughly uh, 25% more than... Uh, 11 and a half. I think that's like close to 14 mil, I want to say, just off the top of my head. So one example of a sign-in trade I've, uh, I see people talk about that I guess makes kind of sense to me would be Spencer Dinwiddie for Kyle Kuzma because that deal works straight up for the Nets uh, because you can take back 13 mil for 11 and a half. But on the Lakers side the thing that they're going to have to deal with is a hard cap. And they could get there. Um, 
I've seen a lot of the rumors Dinwiddie was interested in going to LA. Clippers is very unrealistic. Um, they would have to get off a lot of other players if they're going to make that work under the hard cap while paying him what he would want. But the Lakers could get there. There's a pathway they could do it. Um, so on their end, they would then be they would be the ones getting hard cap because they're the ones acquiring the free agent through a signing trade. But the cool thing is that if the, the what the Lakers could do is um, they could take back five million more than what Kuzma is making. Kuzma's at thirteen mil, so if they so like that goes back to that eighteen million dollar figure where if Dinwiddie's making eighteen mil, or they're bringing eighteen mil. They could send out 13 mil as long as uh, they're not in the tax after the trade. So if they do this trade pretty early on in free agency, they could pull. They could do that. So that that trade actually works uh, on both sides. So uh, so that's the main thing. The team taking the free agent gets hard capped, and the team trading the free agent is subject to base year compensation. Gotcha. So there's no and and so so is there any way that the Nets could. So if the Nets wanted to, though, if they want to, let's say, sign him back to some type of uh, deal that I guess may- maybe pays him, I know people have flirted out kind of like the Fred Van Vliet somewhere around like the 40-year uh, 80s, somewhere around there. If they wanted to, then after the fact, sign and trade. Can they sign and trade that uh, uh, figure and then be able to take back more money in that case? Yeah, they could give him up to the max. So hold on, let me just pull up the max real quick. So... His max, I believe, would be 196 over 5, I think. Right. I think. Um, it depends how long he's been in the league. Uh, yeah, it's either he, that or 125. I don't remember what. Uh, it's either that or the 163. But regardless. So yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's, so let's say, though, uh, yeah, he could get up to the max, so. Yeah, he could get that. Uh, so he could get that 196. Like hypothetically, let's say he got that max. Then uh, 33 mil starting salary. His outgoing would be 50% of that, which is like like 16 and a half. That's higher than uh, than the 11 and a half. But that makes the trade super complicated for the team taking in Dinwiddie. Probably have to get a third team involved to make the salary matches somehow. But I would say that if the Nets' goal is to get a, an expensive player for Dinwiddie that maybe makes something in the closer to 20 mil range, in that case, they'll pro- they're more likely to combine Dinwiddie with another player in that trade. You can do that. So what they could do instead, uh, you know, let's say they keep them at 18 mil, count it 11 and a half, and then. Maybe you find a team that is also willing to take on DeAndre Jordan's, making 10 mil. So then you got 20 mil right there in outgoing salary. Uh, again, kind of complicated for the team taking on Dinwiddie Jordan because they're taking in 28 mil. But that opens up a lot more uh, possibility as far as more expensive players. Usually with these complicated signatures, you just got to get a third team involved to help. Uh, soften the complications of BYC. Uh, usually a, a team with cap space or a big trade exception. So that's probably... But most li- like, To be fair, I think most likely the Nets will probably get a trade exception for Dinwiddie. 
Um, it's not very common for teams to get back like a like a good veteran player, uh, you know, someone who, or to to get like even to just trade a bunch of stuff in, in a sign trade to get someone really good, like an all-star. Like that, that's usually not the case. Usually, it's an over-the-cap team wants that free agent. They can't sign him, so they'll trade like a pick, maybe a young player. Uh, most of the time, just get a trade exception. So even if they just get a trade exception, which would uh, also be for 11 and a half, that's still fine. Um, it's something that they could use later on in the year. But I wouldn't be too worried about what the Nets can do to improve even if they don't get anything for Dinwiddie because they have some other ways I think they could improve the roster right now. Uh, after this year, it's going to get a lot harder, but they could still do a couple things to improve around the margins pretty good. So, okay, so let's, let's talk about... Um... About some about some of those ways that they can improve the roster, but I do want to ask one quick question for you because this is uh, Nets fans, just like most NBA fans, um, definitely like to play Monday morning quarterback, and I know I do that myself. I'm I'm wondering from your perspective and from what you've seen in the league and uh, the way trades end up getting done, do you feel like it would have been advantageous for someone to have traded for Dinwiddie in the middle of the year, even with his um, his even with his injury, just to have um, just to have his bird, just to have his uh, his bird rights, because I guess part of my part part of my thing that I was wondering this whole time is that if the Nets were really unsure that they were gonna uh, keep him, and given that I mean every year is incredibly precious, especially when you have three stars who are in their low thirties, um, it seems like. Had they had the ability to get some type of able body for him, then that could have been the right thing to do. And I'm curious, I guess, what your take is on that. Or do you think the market was just so unbelievably dry given his uh, given his injury and just the math of it all? My answer is a hard yes. There should have been someone buying low on him because my guess is that his value was very low. He wasn't going to play this year. Everyone's trying to win now. And... I don't know what kind of offers were really out there. I don't know if it was the Nets who ultimately decided, you know what, I'll, I'd rather keep them. And, or, like, one of the, I wrote an article around the trade deadline where I proposed three trades I would like to see happen. Um, one of them actually did happen was Aaron Gordon to Denver. Um, but I also proposed uh, Spencer Dinwiddie for Lou Williams, basically. Uh-huh. For the Nets, you get a very reliable backup point guard who honestly maybe could have been the difference versus Milwaukee. You never know, uh, yeah. even given all the injuries. Um, I, I, my argument was that, look, if you're the Clippers, you get Dinwiddie now. He's not going to play this year. Uh, but also, are you really going to re-sign Lou Williams? I'm not too sure if you want to do that. He's, he's getting up there. He just finished his 16th season. Why not get Dinwiddie now? This might be the best point guard you could get uh, at all because you're going to be capped out over the next few years. And instead, they traded for Rondo, and that did not work out at all. And they're stuck with that contract for another year. And if they're ever going to get a player like Dinwiddie now, it's got to be through a regular trade. 
Uh, I think I still get someone as good as him. And thankfully, Reggie Jackson panned out the way he did. But, man, imagine right now if the Clippers were heading to the offseason with Spencer Dinwiddie healthy with his bird rights. Uh, that would be... They'd have one hell of a point guard rotation. So that was that's one big example. I really thought that trade made a lot of sense for both sides. Again, I, I don't think it was ever discussed. That's just something I sure. came up with. But... Um, I, I think that would have made sense for both teams uh, a lot, yeah. and especially with Brooklyn because we don't know exactly what the what's going to happen with Dinwiddie. There's no promise that he's going to agree to a sign trade. He could easily go to the Knicks or Toronto, a team with cap space, and just, uh, just do that, you know. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm so one other question I have for you on that. I don't know if you exactly have the. Um the the math in front of you nor nor what I necessarily expected but in terms of how expensive Dinwiddie is given the Nets um cap situation and uh, and specifically the luxury tax situation and I know that there's also this other uh multiple elephants in the room because the obviously the three stars can also get extended this year but is is extending Dinwiddie as as pricey I guess as what people think it would actually be, or is there, or are the Nets in a better luxury tax situation than other teams are as, as repeaters and whatnot? So the Nets still have a while till they hit a repeater. They got to be in the tax for two more of the next three years. Okay. Uh, and they were just in the tax this year. So the repeater is really going to bite them when the, when those uh, extensions that they could give to their big three would kick in. Um, that's when it's going to get disgustingly expensive. Uh, <laughs> I haven't really done any projections for the Nets right now as sure. far as the payroll because there's so many variables. Absolutely. Um, you know, I personally, I'm not expecting Dinwiddie to be back, but at the same time, uh, Bruce Brown should come back. I really have no idea what he's going to make. Uh, I think there's a good chance, again, just my opinion, that uh, – Maybe uh, Jeff Green and Blake Griffin return on, like, around the minimum or maybe a little more uh, just to try to yeah, – I think the Nets in – my, in my opinion, the Nets were going to win the championship if they were healthy. Yeah, and yeah I feel so. I, I'm sure some of these guys want to realize that. Yeah. Um, and so right now what I can't tell you is – what I can tell you is that uh, with eight players on the roster uh, – and I'm not, I haven't included their pick yet because there's a good chance – They'll trade it, but just because, you know, they're a good team, maybe they want to trade it, get some value for it. But with the eight players that they have on the roster the, from last season that are under contract, they're already 20 mil over the tax, which is roughly 44 million tax payments. So that's already a $200 million roster right there <laughs> with eight players. Yeah. Um, you could If they bring back Dinwiddie at his number, that's going to shoot that maybe as much as 30, 40, by like 30 million extra in the right. tax, maybe. I'm just saying something. Um, yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how much they're willing to spend. I am just kind of interested in, or intrigued with the idea that maybe they re-sign Dinwiddie, try to outbid him just to, you know, re-sign and then try to trade him later. Right. I don't know how practical that is, like, uh, that's, but I wouldn't rule it out completely. Um, but either way, my guess is that their expenses, they'll probably be spending 
it'll probably be a little more than it is right now. Um, I think there's a good chance that they'll get off DeAndre Jordan's salary, maybe trade him for an expiring contract and make a little less. But at the same time, good chance they use their MLE. They'll have the taxpayer MLE. Uh, they bring back some of their veterans, Bruce Brown. And uh, with that, it's still going to get pretty expensive. No matter what, they're going to pay. They're going to spend a lot of money. Um, but it, as regards to Dinwiddie, I'm not sure they'll break the bank for him, unless there's got. I don't know. There's got to be a lot of trust involved there, where Dinwiddie is confident that they'll find him a trade later. Because I don't know. I, I just at the same time, I don't know if the Nets want to pay him close to 20 mil or so to get back. Most likely to get back up. Yeah, so so you mentioned um, uh, earlier before I <laughs> interject with more questions about Dinwiddie. Uh, you mentioned that there are, there are ways on the margins for the uh, the Nets to get better, and so my question for you is because I think um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast with you is because you actually know what all, all these different uh, machinations and 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 different types of s- salary filler labels actually mean, whether it's the MLE, the taxpayer MLE. So I'm wondering. If you could uh, kind of give the Nets fan uh, who's who's listening to this some type of um, guidance about where the Nets' current free agents fit in, such as like the Jeff Greens and the Blake Griffins and the Bruce Browns of the world, and where those guys then fit with the MLE and the taxpayer MLE, and in terms of what the Nets have available and where they can actually use to get somebody else that's maybe outside of that. Um, I know that each guy that that we're about to talk about, whether it's Blake Griffin, who obviously has money coming from Detroit, which I'm sure you'll mention and whatnot, uh, that that obviously creates extra variables. But um, I think that would be incredibly uh, helpful to the Nets listeners. Okay, yeah. So I, when the Nets got eliminated, I had an article out about the Nets offseason coming up. Um, you know, and I just I did get into the the more important players. Uh, we already discussed Dinwiddie uh, a lot. I discussed. Obviously, the uh, Nets' big three extensions. Uh, and then I also discussed about DeAndre Jordan. I think they'll probably move him. Uh, it could either be a straight salary dump or get a, a, a different veteran, maybe package him with a pick or a young player to get a cheaper veteran on an expiring contract. Um, Bruce Brown, if I had to... I was thinking throughout the season maybe he could have gotten he was eligible for an extension. It would have started him at around twelve mil annually. Um, I thought maybe it's possible he'll get that, but maybe he'll get something closer to the mid level, maybe slightly below that. Uh, either way, they don't need a, they could just resign him. They have his bird right, so he's not really uh, taking up any spending power. Just depends how much he wants to spend, and then. Out of their other free agents, the only guys, and I didn't, and I already mentioned Blake Griffin and Jeff Green. With Blake Griffin, you you hit the nail on the head. He's owed thirty million dollars still from Detroit, and to me, it's just a very important context to keep in mind. Uh, it could help the Nets with him potentially uh, resigning for something pretty little. He could take the minimum, maybe. He could take the uh, non-bird exception, which is roughly 3.2 mil. 
Um, and then you'll have early bird rights in 2022, so they can resign to more money. Uh, Jeff Green, he's been on minimum contracts for like the past five years, and he's outplayed them almost every single season. <laughs> I hope the Nets take care of him somehow. Yeah, I agree. I'm not too sure they'll give him the MLE, but maybe they could give him, uh, with his non-bird rights, three or four years. I don't know if he, wa- if he wants that, but and now he's been in the league for 14 years. I'm, I'm, I, it's just, I love Jeff Green. I, I think he, any, every team will try to get him, but at the same time, I still get this feeling it's, everyone's still going to just offer the minimum for him, as crazy as that is. Yeah. But, um, well, I'm pretty, it seems like he was, he and Blake were just so happy in Brooklyn. I have a hard time seeing either of them leaving. So that pretty, makes me pretty optimistic that they'll have the mid-level left over to uh, spend on someone else. Gotcha. And are there any, um, are there any names that have jumped out for you that you could see them targeting uh, with, with the mid-level? I know today, the the hot name based off of the knee and Begley report was Nerlens Noel, who I think, given how well he played with the Knicks, might end up commanding even more than what uh, than what that is. But are there any other guys that I guess jump out to you? Yeah, Michael and I were uh, talking about Nerlens Noel in our last podcast, and he might be one of the most sought after big men. You could make an argument for him to fit on just about any team, <laughs> and I think that the tax pyramid level. Uh, 5.8 mil, 5.9 mil. I feel like that's around what he should get. Maybe he'll get a little more, but as long most, I would see teams offering at least around what he earned last season. Um, I would just say a lot of it depends on what deals they do ahead of time and the other veterans they get. They did not use their mid-level uh, last season on any. Uh, on any veteran, they just—I don't know who they were targeting—and but it ultimately just chose not to use it. They didn't even have to use it on Blake Griffin or Lamarcus Aldridge, which was crazy. So <laughs> I would say they definitely need to address point guard. Um, that was a glaring hole when uh, backup point guard. They were for the most part. Um, just going off of Harden and Irving as their point guards whenever both were healthy. But especially with Dinwiddie not coming back, I think they're going to need someone very reliable. Mike James looked very good. Um, I think he might have to go back to Europe, though. So definitely you can, you can get a pretty solid point guard with that if you don't trade for one. Um, and then other than that, definitely... Other, if they can't get a point guard, then I would definitely look at a rim protector like Netherlands so well. Um, to a lesser extent, maybe you could get someone like JaVale McGee, who's a little cheaper, or Dwight Howard. But even though they they don't seem... Even though they probably won't rely on these rim protectors as much, they really like to play small and more offensive heavy with their big men. I would still have one just in case. Um, yeah, no, that that definitely makes sense, man. I couldn't I couldn't agree more with you about the backup point guard role. I think I mean I look I'm feel like uh, at least based off Twitter I'm the Tyler Johnson 
Uh, I'm the president of the Tyler Johnson fan club, but it seemed like the team lost some type or Nash lost some type of confidence in, in him. I, I would have liked to have seen him play more, but I think they probably yeah. do need someone who's um, who's more yeah. impactful. Um, so you mentioned I want the there are two last things I want to hit on. You mentioned um, this whole DeAndre situation to me is very weird because he obviously was part of this initial. Um, uh, clean sweep with with Kyrie and KD, but he obviously didn't play in the playoffs. Um, doesn't really have a role, and when he does play, is not particularly good. I've seen a lot of um, uh, trade ideas, a lot uh, specifically coming from uh, you and Scotto about uh, packaging him and and like the twenty. I think they have the twenty seventh pick. Um, for some type of expiring uh, contract, which I know you mentioned uh, earlier, even in this podcast, I guess, do you see that as something that's likely? And then the other thing I was actually wondering about is, I guess DeAndre has two years left, so the idea of him getting bought out seems hard. But I, I was also wondering, would he, would he, would it even be allowed for DeAndre to come back to the team if he was bought out? Because it seems like he is like a some type of chemistry or locker room guru with the team um so i'm i'm just curious where you see this whole dj thing landing so you're asking me if the nets trade him and he gets bought out can he come back to the nets yeah only if he only if he basically decided this is like the only place i really want to play yeah i think that if they trade him uh i think they're just gonna have to wait one year Okay, gotcha. That was just so, something crazy uh, I was yeah. thinking of. But I'm pretty sure that's the rule that if if he gets traded and bought out immediately, they can't immediately resign him. Yeah, that makes sense. But if they trade him and then that team trades him again and then that team waves him, then the Nets could immediately pick him up. Gotcha. And it, and do you- but but um, you're asking you were asking me though, like on the how likely I think it is that they do move on the off the under Jordan. Yeah, just because I mean, obviously his I mean his value seems like it's so so unbelievably uh, low at this point. He does have it's not just one year left with him; it's two. Um, and I do get the sense I mean, you would know better than me, but it does seem like the value for late first round picks are not in the same stratosphere as they kind of were a couple of years ago when everyone was just trying to get like like getting into the first round was seen as this massive deal. But given the G League and the second round has been helpful. I'm wondering, like, do you think the Nets could get anybody that's remotely impactful, like packaging, like a pick in DJ? So I think at the very least, they'll, they'll. I think it's very highly likely they move him, just because you're the championship contender. You cannot have ten million dollars just sitting there. Right. Uh, you got to turn that into something. And the Nets have come a long way from firing Kenny Atkinson, partly so they could start DeAndre Jordan, to DeAndre Jordan not playing at all in the most recent playoffs. So I think uh, whatever concern Duran and Irving had uh, that they they wanted DeAndre to play, I don't think... I think they're over that now. (laughs) like I think, I think that's uh, that bridge has been crossed. So, with that said, they need to they need to turn him into something. Now, it'll be tricky because I don't I don't think they're gonna get like a huge difference maker for DeAndre. It, even if they're gonna package 
their 27th pick and maybe even sham it, um, I don't know what that gets you, considering that DeAndre Jordan makes $10 million over the next two seasons. I think um, I, I saw uh, a couple people I follow, they cover the Rockets or the Rockets fans. They proposed a deal where Houston takes on DeAndre and the, the 27th pick, and in return, the Nets get Daniel House. I'm not sure if the salaries match. I'm, I didn't look too into that. But that's something that got me thinking, okay, you know what? That kind of makes sense. And let's get a guy that can come off the bench, play some defense, get some buckets, and he's expiring and super cheap. And then depending how things go, maybe they could resign him to something a little better. So I think realistically that kind of deal might be the best case scenario as far as getting someone who can help back. Because no matter what, if they're taking DeAndre, number one thing is they're going to save money. Maybe not up front, but at least on the years to get an expiring contract. But if they can get someone like yeah, around like the pound level, like a Daniel House, I think I, I, I would be pretty happy. Yeah, I would be ecstatic yeah. with the with, uh, with with him on the yeah. team. I'm so I'm, uh, last couple uh, like. Uh, Rapid fire questions for you. A couple of people, a couple of people that I've been intrigued by that I've seen as names flirted, but I'm just wondering if you think they'll end up being too expensive for the Nets. And obviously, a lot of this is like everything in free agency is uh, market dependent. But so two guards that I've seen that I think would be somewhat interesting are um, are Ish Smith and Goran Dragic. I'm wondering, do you think those are two guys that can fit in their plans, or do you think they'll be, uh, uh, or do you think they'll end up being too expensive? I think Ishmith is very gettable. Um, I, he's been make, earning around six mil uh, annually. Mm, not too sure he gets that much on his next deal. Right. Uh, we'll see. I, I haven't paid too much attention to him, but um, I think he's very gettable. As for Dragic, that one's a little tough because it's a very strong point guard market, and Dragic. Still can play. Um, we're, uh, I thought he would have dropped off already, and so far hasn't. It, it could come. Um, I don't know. I, I think he could get more. He should be getting more than the taxpayers. Though. I'm sure there will be teams out there throwing the full mid-level. Uh, there could be teams with cap space offering him even more. Um, but you never know with, with Sean Marcy. He'll convince players to come he convinces veterans to play for way less. So. <laughs> I wouldn't be totally shocked if they got him somehow. And then uh, two bigger guys that I've seen some uh, some noise about are, uh, or actually three, would be uh, JaVale, uh, Biombo, um, and then I, I've, I've also seen some a little bit here and there on Bobon. I'm curious uh, about those three guys. Yeah, these are like the... Some of the value guys uh, at center, um, guys that I'm guessing you could get for around the minimum slight or slightly higher. Um, we'll be interested. There's a lot of guys like this. I mentioned like Dwight Howard, for example. Um, obviously, Norman Sowell's at the higher end of that tier. But um, I'm sure the Nets could get one of those guys. Um I 
last off season, a lot of centers were going for the full mid-level exception. I think a lot of that kind of had to do with the Lakers winning the championship when, and they were going very big. Uh, the previous few off seasons, it was the opposite. All, you had uh, wing players getting the mid-level or more, and then all the backup centers were getting like the room mid-level or less. So I think we're going to have that trend back again where backup centers are earning you know, room mid-level or less. So... Yeah, I think the Nets should be able to get one of those guys. Uh, there's probably a lot more guys in that tier we haven't thought of, but they'll get. They should be able to get someone. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, I I think you're right uh, that this. I I don't know if we're missing any other names that you're that you're intrigued about with them. I mean, look, I mean, when when uh when when you're at the level that the Nets are at, which as a Nets fan, I haven't been this excited ever, even even with the early 2000s teams that actually made the the finals. This isn't a whole a whole other stratosphere. I mean, there's obviously some names that uh, excite me, but I'm assuming they're going to be too expensive. Like someone who's uh, uh, playing right now, like in, in Bobby Portis. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there's, there, there's some, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with, with a Baca, um, et cetera. But, and then you also have like some of the veteran guys like Ariza and Iguodala who I'm, I'm curious to see what happens to them. But it, it does seem, I don't know if I'm off here. It does seem like it's a little bit of a weird, um, a weird free upcoming free agent year. And I guess I'll, I'll, I'll make it more global right now just because this, the, everything going on with Kawhi seems interesting. You have this, the Chris Paul, Mike Conley, Kyle Lowry. I don't really know exactly how the league values any of those three guys at this point on top of the fact that it seems like there could be, big people getting traded like the dames and ben simmons of the world but it also and i know you and scott have talked about this but also like i wouldn't be surprised if dame ends up saying put and mccollum stays put it seems like there's it i can't tell whether this offseason could be not as crazy as 2019 but pretty insane or if it could end up just kind of being kind of low-key and a lot of people just resign. i mean i don't i doubt it could be as crazy as 2019 2019 <laughs> was just like it was like a fit 16 out of 10. It was it was too crazy. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I would say every offseason has had some sort of uh, some kind of like, I don't want to say earth-shaking move, but definitely something that's um, somehow affected the landscape of the league. Um, like 2017 at Chris Paul, 2018 Kawhi, uh, Anthony Davis 2019. Uh, technically it happened in 2021 with James Harden was asking for a trade uh, in last in 2020 offseason uh, like even with the James Harden trade that one it kind of came out of nowhere I remember when the rumor first started coming but it just felt a, like a little too out there that he would go to the Nets or even get traded at all with players right. on his deal and it happened um had that Harden drama not happened, it would probably have been a pretty neutral offseason. Right. Maybe one of the more uh, low-key ones from the, of the past five years. So after this one, my feeling, you know, you don't expect it, but I didn't expect it with Harden. I didn't expect it with Kawhi, and then it just they happened. So we'll see. I, I would say... 
solid chance that one of these guys actually do demand a trade and, and get traded. Um, you know, it might even be it's one of the one of the guys I've been talked about a lot, like Dane Dio Simmons. It could, could be someone completely different. You never know. Right. Absolutely. Uh, last two second question for you: Does the if your if your Kawhi, how does the um, how does this whole ACL injury? What, what what I guess what would you do if you were him, and what do you think he does? Uh, if I'm Kawhi, I stay in LA, and I think he will stay in LA. Um, I guess he'll take a one plus one. Uh, okay. On the max, yep. just because he can, and then next off season do a five year max at uh, it's projected at two thirty five mil. Wow. Uh, may, uh, one other reason here, I think he'll do the one plus one. It's just to apply pressure on the Clippers. Um, you know, the when you're on an expiring contract, you have a lot of leverage. You can influence some decisions. Uh, you can have some say in the roster construction. Uh, I mean, I, I I think the Clippers front office has been great. I would just trust them anyways. But you know, it's good to put some pressure on them just to really you know be on them. Make sure that they do whatever you think is best. And um, yeah, I, I I don't really think this affects the Kawhi decision much. Uh, it just sucks for the Clippers because. They'll still make, I think they should still make the playoffs as long as everyone else is healthy. But, you know, now instead of picking 27 to 30, maybe you're picking 20 to 23. Uh, if you're close, but, uh, you know, also you could be at risk in the play-in, so that could complicate the pick even more with the other OKC. Right. But, um, yeah, I think he just stays. And we'll see what the Clippers do. Probably doesn't change too much of their roster construction plans because they're out of flexibility anyways. But they can't bottom out because their pick goes up to KC. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this was uh, this was awesome. This was a uh, another episode of the uh, front office. Um, I was joined here by Josie uh, uh, Gozlan. Um, honestly, like your your, your Paul Wiscato is excellent. Um, uh, for 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 hoops hype, and I I think a lot of people t- talk out of their ass on on salary cap stuff. But you guys uh, or you specifically know what you're talking about. And the combo of you and Scotto on the podcast with rumors and cap stuff is great. So uh, everyone should definitely follow uh, Yossi and his uh, and the podcast on Twitter. He's at Yossi Gozlan Y O S S I G O Z L A N, and definitely. Listen to the pod and and uh, and read his articles. Any, anything else you want to plug? Uh, just thank you for all the kind words, Sam. I appreciate you having me on. And um, I mean, yeah, you, I think you plugged everything I, I would have plugged. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, absolutely. All right, so this was a solo Sam episode of the front office. I will be back with my co-host Eve Darbu sometime sometime soon. I'm, and I'm going to do some draft stuff as well, which I'm excited about, even though as uh, <laughs> as Josie and I just talked about, it sounds like the Nets will probably end up trading the pick. But either way, I'm still a, a draft junkie, and I hope to be at the Barclays Center for it. Uh, but everybody, see you, uh, see you next week. Um, and thanks a lot, Josie. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. 
But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.